I want to say something important. I want to say thank you. We are so uh, blessed to have this revelation to talk about on this podcast. And we are reaching a point where these podcasts are reaching tens of thousands of people around the world. And that's pretty special. What it means is that there is real receptivity, and we always knew, the Urantia book is reaching people everywhere. It's an important revelation. We can all debate its value and its purpose. But the important thing is we're having conversations about it, and people are attracted to the truth it contains. And in a moment, we'll give you just an example of that. We recently had elections in the United States. I know I voted, and there are a lot of thoughts that go along with that. And, you know, there's an interesting paper in the Urantia book about how they vote on a neighboring planet. And we're going to talk about that right now on the Urantia Radio Podcast. So how do they vote on our planetary neighbor? How do they vote on planet, I'm going to call it Titania? You know, in the Urantia book in paper 72, section 9, where it talks about government on a neighboring planet. And it appears to be a planet that's not that far behind us by mere decades, maybe even only a few years. Because they seem to be, based on the way it's described in paper uh, 72, they seem to be about where we were in the early 1900s. They're traveling. Uh, they've just learned how to travel. So they, there's a comment about how everybody is travel crazy. So that would tell me that they have vehicles. And if they're just at that point where they have learned about the combustion engine or however it is that they mechanize their, their vehicles, they're still at that developmental stage, probably mid-industrial, where we were just before the onset of the computer age and now the information age. So, you know, they're about where we were in the 30s. Let's assume that on uh, planet Titania, and don't ask me why I came up with that, but it seems to fit. So on planet Titania, here's their plan for universal suffrage. Take note, because the Urantia Book Revelators obviously wanted us to know enough about this other planet Number one, because it's similar to our own. It has a similar history. Number two, they're about at the same stage as we are developmentally, although in some areas we're probably a little bit more advanced, but in some areas we're not, clearly. And so here is their plan on universal suffrage, which I've just come back from voting. It's the midterms. By the time most of you hear this, it'll be subsequent. It'll be after the fact, but we still have another election coming up in a couple of years, so it won't be dated. But again, it's 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 things for us to think about in the way that we do things, and they are offering up for suggestion ways to improve or to learn. So this is a unique expose in that we're, for the first time, at least in revelatory form, 
We're being told how other people live on another planet. That's pretty amazing. It sounds crazy, but here's what they say about it. Uh, paper section nine of paper 72, 72, nine, uh, paragraph one. Although candidates for all public offices are restricted to graduates of the state, regional, or federal schools of statesmanship, the progressive leaders of this nation, and they're not using the term progressive as we use it. They're using the accurate term, which is people that are progressing. Uh, leaders of this nation discovered a serious weakness in their plan of universal suffrage about 50 years ago, and they made constitutional provisions for a modified scheme of voting which embraces the following features. This is very interesting, isn't it? So they have a constitution, and they changed that con constitution about 50 years ago because they discovered a weakness in their, uh, their way of voting. So what was the weakness? Well, let's read on. Number one, every man and woman of 20 years and over has one vote. Upon attaining this age, all citizens must accept membership in two voting groups. They will join the first in accordance with their economic function, industrial, professional, agriculture, or trade. They will enter the second group according to their political, philosophic, and social inclinations. So you would vote once by determining on what industry you're in, and you would vote once depending on what your political ideology is. So you'd have two votes, but they could be for separate events. All workers, and it continues on, all workers thus belong to some economic franchise group, and these guilds, like the non-economic associations, are regulated much as the national government, as is the national government, with its threefold division of powers. So they too on this planet, Titania, uh, also has three branches of government. Registration of these groups cannot be changed for 12 years. So once you're in, you're in. Upon nomination by the state governors or by the regional executives and by the mandate of the regional supreme councils, individuals who have rendered great service to society or who have demonstrated extraordinary wisdom in government service may have additional votes conferred upon them, not more often than every five years, and not to exceed nine such super franchises. So they can't exceed more than nine additional votes, and you would have to show that you had wisdom. And you'd have what they say demonstrated extraordinary wisdom. I can't think of anybody in our current political system that possesses extraordinary wisdom. Can you? The maximum suffrage of any multiple voter is 10. Scientists, inventors, teachers, philosophers, and spiritual leaders are also thus recognized and honored with augmented political power. Interesting. These advanced civic privileges are conferred by the state and regional supreme councils, much as degrees are bestowed by the special colleges. And the recipients are proud to attach the symbols of each civic recognition, along with their other degrees, to their list of personal achievements. So in here, you know, we're all worried about getting that blue check mark next to our name on Twitter. That's how we get privileges, right? In, in this society, you earn your privileges. You earn your degrees in whatever field you're in, and you're rewarded by having just a little bit more voting power.
because I, I believe the assumption would be that if you've achieved these things and society has been improved because of it, then you would, you would be bestowed special privileges. One of them being you being able to list your uh, recognition, your check, your blue check, for lack of a better term. Uh, and it, it just makes you a more desirable person, someone who is sought out for leadership and wisdom. Number three, all individuals sentenced to compulsory labor in the mines and all government servants supported by tax funds are, for the periods of such services, disenfranchised. So if you're in a labor camp or uh, you're a government uh, agent and you're supported by tax funds, you are not allowed to vote. Isn't that interesting? You know, in Virginia, one of the problems that that state has had well, it's not a problem if you're on that side of it, but it's so close to Washington, D.C., most of the government employees live in northern Virginia. So they tend to vote for, well, Democrat. And this has been something, a cycle that's been going on. So they're supporting themselves. They're voting their own bosses. They're voting their own paychecks. On this world, Titania, those people are not allowed to vote. By the way, it does not apply to aged persons who may be retired at 65. So they also retire, or at least at the time of this writing, 65. So people who are in prison, who've broken the law, who've convicted of criminal activity, you don't vote. And people that are working for the government, you don't vote. Now, there are five brackets of suffrage reflecting the act. Now, when I say that they don't vote, I want to make that they may be able to vote for something, but they they would not be afforded the ability to vote for the, the major offices, which they explain a little bit later. So you still have some participation in suffrage, but you're restricted in, in other ways, which they'll get to in just a moment. So there are five brackets of suffrage reflecting the average yearly taxes paid for each half decade period. So for every five years, your uh, brackets that you can vote in uh, are measured by how much taxes you pay. Heavy taxpayers are permitted extra votes up to five. This grant is independent of all other recognitions, but in no case can any person have over 10 ballots. So that's interesting. So ballots, in, in a sense, become currency. You know, if you've earned the the privilege of having extra ballots, then you're probably more sought after as the desired voter. And number five, at the time this franchise plan was adopted, the territorial method of voting was abandoned in favor of the economic or functional system. All citizens now vote as members of industrial, social, or professional groups, regardless of their residence. Thus, the electorate consists of solidified, unified, and intelligent groups who elect only their best members to positions of governmental trust and responsibility. So they're, you know, think about how different that is from us. And think of what you've been witnessing this whole period of time with all the commercials and the way that they mudsling. On Titania, it's very different. The election of a federal chief executive every six years is by nationwide ballot, and no citizen can cast over one vote. So that mirrors our own 
except that we have a presidential race every four years. They, it's six. Thus, except for, or except in the election of the chief executive, suffrage is exercised by economic, professional, intellectual, and social groupings of the citizenry. The, the ideal state is organic, and every free and intelligent group of citizens represents a vital and functional organ within the larger governmental organism. The schools of statesmanship have power to start proceedings in state courts looking, for the, uh, looking toward the disenfranchisement of any defective, idle, indifferent, or criminal individual. Uh, these people recognize that when 50% of a nation is inferior or defective and possesses the ballot, such a nation is doomed. They believe the dominance of mediocrity spells the downfall of any nation. Voting is compulsory. Heavy fines are being assessed against all who fail to cast their ballot. You know, that's what got me up this morning. That's what made me decide to go vote. When I saw that, or when I remembered that I'd read that in the Arantia book, that it really is a moral obligation to vote. And then I went and voted. And then that made me want to share this paper, which is how they do it on that government on a neighboring world. So they're very emphatic of the quality of the voter. They're very rewardive, if that's a word, of people who have accomplished great things. And people that are that are what they call inferior or defective, that would be a, you know, like a lot of homeless people that you see that are just, their minds are not there. They don't get to vote. How do you feel about that? How would you feel if, if people that were, you know, classified as inferior or defective were not allowed to vote? But they are allowed to vote. Everyone is allowed to vote for president. They just can't vote for those other offices. You know, there again, there is a sort of a logic to it. But I think the most important sentence in this whole thing, these people recognize that when 50% of a nation is inferior or defective and possesses the ballot, such a nation is doomed. Now, I'm just going to point out here that it was about a decade ago, maybe more, that it was determined, and I'm just using this as an example, that more, just more than 50%, it was like 50.7 or something, of the people were officially dependent on some government program. So in that scenario, when you have more than 50% of the nation getting some sort of benefit from the federal government, who do you think they're more likely to vote for? That's right, the people that are in office so that they continue to get their benefits. And then what happens is that group begins to grow even more than it's 60%. And then you end up having what 20% of the population, as it is today, paying 80% of the taxes. The taxes that we all need for all the services that we get, fire, streets, Congress people who go to Washington to do our bidding. So all of that is paid for by you and I, the taxpayer. And see how we vote and, and measure it up against these people. They recognize that the way they were doing it was going to kill their nation. We still do things the way we did. Today, you have arguments being made about the end of democracy if you vote this way 
or uh, the end of life if you vote this way. We have to get past this point. And, and I wonder if one day maybe somebody will read this or be told of it. Say, you know, that's not a bad idea. What if... What kind of uproar do you think there'd be if certain people within society got more than one vote? Oh boy, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen. But what a great uh, perspective, huh? Uh, how they vote on another on a planet. It's a paper seventy-two, and again, section nine. If you want to read it, then they go into how they deal with crime, military, and then they describe the other nations. And then, by the way, this paper was written by a Melchizedek. Uh, Melchizedek of very high order. Uh, and they also end with this. Your Uranians should take note that their sister sphere in this family of Satania has benefited by neither magisterial or bestowal missions of the Paradise Sons. So they never had Christ come to their world or uh, or another type of son, a magisterial son, what they call in the Bible the lesser Christ. Neither are the various people of Urantia set off from each other by such disparity of culture as separates the continental nation from its planetary fellows. So there's a little bit more harmony here than there. Uh, the pouring out of the spirit of truth, says this Melchizedek, provides the spiritual foundation for the realization of great achievements in the interests of the human race of the bestowal world. Urantia is therefore far better prepared for the more immediate realization of a planetary government with its laws, mechanisms, symbols, conventions, and languages. Now, before people start to get all, what do you mean it's globalism? No, 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 it's not saying that. It's just saying the realization of the idea of a planetary government uh, where you would have the kind of people in government that it describes in this paper, not the kind of people that we have running things now. We don't need, you know, that craziness, right? Then they conclude with all of which could contribute so mightily to the establishment of worldwide peace under law and could lead to the sometime dawning of a real age of spiritual striving. And such an age is the planetary threshold to the utopian ages of light and life, which is a long time from now. But it's interesting and it's good to be exposed to this, these kinds of thoughts. And I appreciate you uh, stopping by on this special election coverage of the Urantia Radio Podcast. Until next time, go vote. Even if you haven't done so already, shame on you.